Hi, I'm Chris Sprouse, Speaker of the Florida House and former prosecutor. From policy briefs to white papers, court cases to brutal police records, no matter my role, reading has been a central part of my mission to defend American values. But this isn't just my job. Reading books is a personal passion, and getting to know the authors behind the ideas on the page is one of my favorite pastimes. The Red, White, and Blue podcast is now in session. Welcome back, listeners. Today, we're talking with NFL Super Bowl champion coach, player, and fatherhood advocate, Tony Dungy, about his book, Uncommon Influence, Saying Yes to a Purposeful Life. Tony is currently an analyst with NBC's Sunday Night Football, a spokesman for the national fatherhood program, All Pro Dad. He's also an adopted and foster parent who's deeply involved in our community. He leads the Dungy Family Foundation that's based here in Tampa, Florida, to strengthen, sustain, and empower communities by providing opportunities for those who are in need. I had the opportunity to get to know Tony uh, during our work to promote responsible fatherhood throughout the state of Florida. You're going to love this conversation. You're going to get to learn about him, his life, what's on his heart, and what is in the powerful message behind Uncommon Influence, saying yes to a purposeful life. Join us now. Well, Coach Dungy, thanks for joining us for the podcast. Well, thank you, Speaker Sprouse. It's great to be with you. I don't get a chance to be with you as often as I would like. So this is great, even if it's virtual. Absolutely. Well, it's great to be with you again. I, I got to tell you, I want to I want to hop into it because there's so much I want to talk to you about, Coach. I, I just got the opportunity to finish your new book, Uncommon Influence, Saying Yes to a Purposeful Life. Um, but before we get into the book and, and what you talked about, t- tell me about uncommon influence, right? What, what does that mean? Why, why did that make the, the front cover of the book? It, it really, the, the idea of our book, my wife, Lauren, and I wrote it together, and we wanted to encourage people and let them know that you can, you not only you can, but you will have an influence on people wherever you are. A lot of people look at me and say, oh, well, former NFL coach, and you're on TV, and you've got a big platform. Well, my wife, Lauren has a a tremendous platform, too, with 11 kids in our house and in our neighborhood and just around the city of Tampa and doing things with her run group. Um, And that's what we wanted to get across to people. Don't think that you don't make a difference. You can't make a difference. The Lord puts you in places to influence people. And if you do it in an uncommon way, uh, you're going to have a big impact. It was so great to read some of the chapters, especially um, that Lauren kind of took the, the focal point on. You know, I, I thought you were a busy coach until I learned about Lauren Dungy. She and, uh, amazing. She really it, is. It, it is amazing. And this is the, the third book that, that you and Lauren have done together. So tell us a little bit about that because you've obviously done books separately, which were fantastic. You've done some work together. How, how does that work when the two of you are writing a book together? Well, we, we've learned and I think we've gotten better at it. We did our first one, Uncommon Marriage, and we kind of were trying to tell our story about our marriage. And she had different recollections maybe than I did, <laughs> different thoughts. So this one, we kind of split it up and we took topics and we took chapters. I spoke on one, she'd speak on the next one. And this worked out a little bit better as people got, as you say, got to hear her voice and my voice uh, separately. It was pretty, pretty fun. I, I did this book on Audible because I was on, I had a road trip in front of me and I, I was able to listen to the two of you in your own voice read the book. And I don't know, you know, if, we, if our listeners are going to read it or listen to it, but, you know, Lauren had just a great way of, of describing these moments of, of motherhood and challenges that, you know, times made you kind of laugh and other times sort of brought you to tears. Um, so she was very, very gifted in, in her approach. Yeah, no, she is tremendous. And 
Um, for those who don't know about the book, we kind of walk through our experience together, uh, starting out as young, a young married couple and getting into the foster care system and then getting into adoption and why we did it uh, and how we try to manage it uh, along with our own family uh, and, and keeping our kids uh, organized and together. And so much of it, especially when I was coaching, did fall on Lauren. I'm working long hours and she's trying to keep the household together, keep people functioning. But that was her gift. And that was the way that she could influence 11 young lives. Yeah, no doubt. When you're you're early on in your your marriage coach, early on in your career playing football for the Steelers, um, you know, when you came when you walked onto the field that that first day, did you have that mindset uh, of uncommon influence or is that something that was sort of mentored into you along the way? It, it, it grew. Uh, and it developed and it started really in Pittsburgh. I was a, a rookie player, 21 years old. Um, the Steelers were in the middle of a dynasty at that point in the, in the mid seventies. And they've got this great team with 11 hall of fame players on it, a hall of fame coach. They've won a couple of super bowls and I'm there thinking, how am I going to fit into this group? How am I going to get myself together and be part of this fantastic unit? And the very first meeting, our coach Chuck Knowles says, hey, welcome and it's glad, great you're here, but don't pour everything into football. Don't make your whole life football. If you do, you're not going to be fulfilled. You're not going to be satisfied when you leave the game. You've got to figure out how you can live a purposeful life. How are you going to contribute to the city of Pittsburgh? How are you going to make us a better place to live? How are you going to find fulfillment? And I'm like, this guy's crazy. I'm, I'm trying to make a team. I'm trying to make some money. I'm trying to earn a living. And I'm trying to uh, win a Super Bowl ring. And he says, well, we'll get to all that. We'll do all that. But if that's all you do, your life is, is, is not going to be meaningful. And then I started looking at these guys who are, you know, my heroes, and they're saying the same thing and they're doing the same thing. And, uh, and the, one of the great things the Steelers did, they made us on our off day. As a rookie, you had to sign up for a community service project on your off day. That was required. And now so many of these guys were eight, nine, 10 year veterans, and they were still doing it. They were doing it not because they had to, but because they derived so much from it. And so I'm seeing these, these veteran guys do that. And then I, I get out there and you get involved with Special Olympics or you get involved with the prison reform unit in, in, in Allegheny County. And it was just great. It was it was meaningful. And so those off days became just as special as our practice days to me. And I, I learned that well, when you do give back and you help someone, you get as good a feeling as you get from scoring a touchdown. What I really love about that story, Coach, and, and uh, people from Tampa, I think, have maybe a particular appreciation for this. But Coach Noel has that conversation with you, mentors that you have this group of the guys at the Steelers who you know get together and pray together, Bible studies, do community service together. When you come to Tampa uh, as as a coach, you give that same speech to your players and, and they go out and, and somebody from Tampa who lives here. It totally changed our community when when those players really leaned in. So, you know, tell us about that and the experiences you had and, and sort of spreading that through helping helping us spread that throughout Tampa Bay. Yeah. And that that is the neat thing about it, Chris. Um, I got this message in 1977. Well, in 1997, I'm coming down to Tampa 20 years later and I'm thinking, OK, this is my team. What am I going to say to them? Well, I kind of go verbatim, Chuck Noel on them. Hey, this is what we're going to do. We want to win a Super Bowl. We have to. That's why I'm here. But if that's all we do, it's not going to be meaningful. You guys 
People look up to you. The kids look up to you. You've got to be role models. We've got to make Tampa a better place to live. And then I have guys like Derek Brooks and John Lynch and Ward Dunn who take that to heart. And they come, they're coming to me, coach. How can I, I'm going to go to this boys and girls club. I want to make a difference. How can we do this? Uh, we had a couple of players come to me and say, hey, you know what? We want to sponsor a night for big brothers, big sisters and get people involved. And so we had a we had a, an evening at our practice facility where we you know, we did it for big brothers and big sisters. We got a hundred people to sign up for it. And it was all our players idea. And so now 20 years later, after that, yes, they won a Super Bowl in 2002 and it was awesome, but people are more connected and more grateful, as you say, for the impact that these guys have had in the city and are still having 20 years later. Yeah, it, it really is amazing. And really truly changed, you know, uh, changed our city and changed Tampa Bay for the better. You know, you talk in the book about integrity and, you know, obviously that's something that you had an expectation of integrity when it came to your players. So I want you to talk to us a little bit about that. But I also want you to mention a, a particular story that you used in the book, if you would, about having integrity really when the rubber meets the road. And it's it's super hard. Yeah, it is. And I, I, I always my parents pushed that into me. Hey, whatever you do, you, you're a dungy and you represent us so you go out there and do something a little bit off target you know that reflects on us and they they poured that into me and i always remembered that as a kid and then you, you think well when you sign up for a team you're you're part of the tampa bay bucks and something happens it's not just you but this is what the buccaneers do you're representing us and and i always wanted to get across that that team flavor of it well that that's good when you're talking theoretically but when it really comes down to it, are you going to live up to that or not? Well, I was a young coach, defensive coach with the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and we were playing a playoff game in Denver against the great John Elway and the Broncos. And we were at their stadium practicing the day before the game. One of the TV techs who might have been a Pittsburgh fan, I don't know, he tells me, hey, I was watching the Broncos practice and they've got this play. They've got a trick play ready for you guys. Uh, this number 47 is working on a halfback pass. And I'm saying, wow, okay, I got this information and I didn't get it the right way. This is not the right thing to do, but it's valuable information. Should I share it or what? Everything I've talked about integrity, where does that fall into play? So I thought about it all night. I'm laying on my pillow sweating. I've got an uh, obligation to the team. I know this information. This can help us win, but I didn't get it the right way. What should I do? Well, I, I just prayed about it and I decided I, I cannot use this because we didn't get it the right way. Well, sure enough, in the second quarter, number 47 comes in and these thoughts go through my mind. Oh no, he's not gonna throw this trick play as he, he does. Gets about 50 yards down to the 10 yard line. And I'm saying, man, if we lose this game because I had this information and I didn't use it, how am I gonna feel? But this was the right thing to do. I, I, I felt terrible, but we kept going. We ended up stopping him on that play. We got an interception three plays later. We end up winning the game, and I felt so good afterwards that, yeah, I did it the right way. And what, I, what I'm what i saying and what I'm talking about, I can put into practice. 
Well, I, I was so glad that you you shared it. And as, as you read, you're, you're reading this, and you're you're trying to remember the game. You're, you know, you're going through agony. You know, on the <laughs> on the trip there, and then I, I'm starting to sweat for you. And uh, you know, so it's uh, it was really just a great story, though, about you know, practice what you preach, which is yeah. which is a hard thing to do. But it probably would have been hard for you to go into the locker room the next season and preach that. Um, you know, had you not yeah. done, had we won the game not the right way, you know, it would have had immediate benefit oh hey we're going on to the next round but really I, I think it would have taken something away from from my message yeah no doubt no doubt we talk about you talk about integrity in the book but y- you and lauren both talk about the power of prayer um about how you start the day and about the impact it's had on your life so share with our listeners about you know what kind of role prayer has played in in both of your lives but also what you would impress upon uh, people who maybe don't have as as robust a prayer life. Yeah, you know, I, I always fancied myself as a, a good Christian. I wanted to honor the Lord. I wanted to do the right things. I go to church, um, but I always kind of got the sense that I can handle things myself. And as a football player, if I work hard enough, if you do the right things, you you know you'll get good results. Uh, but once we got married, and I saw how passionate Lauren was about prayer. And it, it became kind of the thread of our family and our marriage. And we pray a lot and we pray about things that we know we can't handle ourselves. And it, it's so important. And so I've learned, uh, I think, from my wife that, you know, not only pray about the big things that you don't feel like you can handle, but pray about the little things and, and pray about things that we think we do have under control. But you might get a little more guidance from the Lord. So I have really grown in that regard. Uh, having been married to my wife, we're trying to teach that to our, our kids. And one of the the real blessings of the fun things, when we have family prayers and we go around the circle and our young kids pray. And some of them are, are praying prayers that I say, man, there's no way I could have prayed like that when I was five <laughs> years old. So it's yeah. really been awesome. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I uh, you know, Lauren says in there, you know, pray before you hit the, your feet hit the floor. And I think that that's a, a really important message to just sort of start your day. I don't always do it, coach. I did it this morning, though, mostly because Lauren, you know, <laughs> Lauren got to me. So you tell her it's working. It's I working. Will. I will. One thing, you know, people know about you is, you know, that you were obviously a successful player, a coach, you know, NFL Hall of Fame, you know, NBC commentator. Um I don't know if everyone knows um, about the work that you and Lauren Donovan in Tampa Bay, you know, for children. And for those of folks who might be listening who aren't from Tampa Bay, you know, we're really kind of ground zero in the state of Florida for children who are in need, who are separated from their families because of neglect or, or, you know, uh, other reasons. And they're in this kind of state of crisis. And, you know, you, you guys have a lot of stories here over the years. You know, you've, you've got 11 kids, eight are, are adopted. And then an additional over a hundred kids that you have, you know, uh, emergency fostered um, over the years. So tell us about, you know, how that got on your heart and and that experience. Yeah, we um, were early in our marriage. We're going to church in Pittsburgh uh, in our 20s. We didn't have children at the time. And a lady came in to present at our church and talked about the Allegheny County in, in Pennsylvania, how they needed foster parents. And this was a way that we could express our faith, give feet to our faith and and helping people. And so it was kind of easy then. We didn't have kids. We we took in foster kids and it it was awesome. Well, now we're like on and we got child number one, child number three, child number five, and I'm moving up the ladder and I'm I'm a little bit busier. We get to 
to Tampa. Years later, we've got 11 kids. But they asked us to make a public service announcement here in Hillsborough County. And it was kind of the same type of things. Here's where our foster care program is. This is how many kids we have coming in the system. This is what we need in terms of parenting and people and resources. So we made, Lauren and I made this PSA. And then, of course, Lauren says, we need to pray about this. We can't just make the public service announcement and not do anything. We've got to get involved. So we signed up again, got certified in Florida, and we've probably done 25 foster kids here now in the last three or four years. We have three. We have two right now. Um, and to go along with the eight kids that are in our household. But it's just something where Lauren said, hey, the Bible says we have to reach out and help the least of these. If we want to help the least of these, then we're helping the Lord out. And it's been awesome for us. It's been a real blessing. I love that Lauren says, you know, when Tony gets asked the question, how many kids do you have? He always has to take a pause to make sure he's getting the accurate number and then answers. This is how many we have right now. <laughs> you know, how many stockings are hanging on the on the uh, on the mantle? You know, th this is such an important issue. So I want to pause a second on it. You know, fostering kids, particularly here in Tampa Bay. And I've had a lot of conversations, Coach, over the last couple of years. We're trying to get the, the system, you know, into a place financially and otherwise where they're really equipped here, in, particularly in Pinellas and Hillsborough County, to, to take care of these kids. But, but as you know, uh, having lived through this, what you really need is willing families who are willing, as as Lauren illustrates in the book, you know, that phone that phone rings at 1030 at night, you know, if you don't pick it up, they're going to go down the call list and keep calling families until they get to someone who can take these kids. But you've made it a point to pick up the phone when it rings and to be prepared to accept a child into your home. So so what would you kind of what would your advice be to families who feel like they have a calling to do this? But there's so many, you know, I'm, you know we're busy Our you know, we have our own children. We have our, our jobs are busy. What what kind of advice would you give them? Um, to break through some of those things. Well, th that is true. And we all are, are busy and we all can have a reason why we, we can't do it. But um, the, the joy that you'll get out of doing it and the benefit that you get to one kid, one child can make all the difference in the world. And I, I think back to some really an application that I got from our chaplain with the Minnesota Vikings, when I used to talk to him about what things should I accept and what things can I maybe pass up, he'd always say, well, there's three things you need to consider. Number one, is it something that would please the Lord? Now, there's a lot of things out there that would please the Lord, but it, first of all, it's got to be that. And then number two, is it something that you're passionate about? If both of those are in place, okay, you're maybe on your way. But then the third thing is, is there something that you bring specifically that other people can't bring? If it'll please the Lord, if you're passionate about it and you've got a special skill to do it, maybe God's telling you that's what you need to do. Well, that's the way I try to filter things. And my wife is very passionate about this. And we can bring something to the table. We do have room in our house. We do have uh, time. I'm, I'm not working now. So for us, it's easy. For, for some other people, it's not quite as easy to say, hey, you know, I've got a full-time job and so does my wife. And it's going to be harder and we're going to have to make some sacrifices. But if you're still passionate about it and you pray about it, God will help you get through it. And then the, the second thing that really pierces us all the time is that 
that little parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 25. He talks about the king who says, okay, I'm going to honor you because you helped me when I needed help. I was naked. I was thirsty. I was hungry. I was down and you helped me. And they said, well, no, 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 no. We, we, we never helped you. And he said, no, no. When you help the least of those, you, you help me. When you refuse to help the least of those, you were refusing to help me. And Boy, that's what gets Lauren and I right now. Well, who are the least of those in our community now? Well, some of these foster kids, some of these kids who are just through no fault of their own, they're not in a safe environment right now. And if we can provide a safe environment just for a day, for a week, uh, it can make a difference. Yeah, no, no doubt. And, and you've, you've made a difference in the lives of thousands of kids. And I think as, as we kind of get more Dungy type families uh, throughout Tampa Bay, you know, we can we can make that grow exponentially. You know, w- one other thing that kind of struck out to me in the book was, uh, you know, during COVID, you know, y- you and Lauren had visited a school together and the principal yeah, kind of put it on you that, you know, during the during the school year, particularly these Title I schools, which, you know, has to do with free and reduced lunch, you know, and, you know, so kids are getting free lunch or free food at the school that many of them during COVID weren't getting the food and the nutrition they needed because school wasn't open. And that even when the school year was there, that kids would sometimes hide in the school on Fridays to get food. So tell us about, you know, that, that conversation and, and what that, what that prompted. Yeah, we actually, this was Lauren's program again, too, when she was, uh, uh, when I was coaching the Bucks, um, one of her passions was to mobilize the wives and the girlfriends to do things. So they had a program where they would go read in elementary schools on Tuesdays and read to the children. And it was really rewarding and they loved it. So when I retired, Lauren got me to join and go in with her and go around and read. So we read to second grade students and we go into these schools and it it is you hear about the programs and you hear about teachers sacrificing and taking money out of their own pockets to get resources to kids and and to help them and to buy school supplies for kids that can't afford it. And you just really realize what a great job our teachers are doing. Well, one of, we were reading in the school one day and the principal was telling us about these free and reduced lunch that a lot of kids get. And the fact that they would have to do a school sweep on Fridays And I said, why would you have to do that? She said, because we will have kids hide in the building because they know if they go home Saturday and Sunday, they won't eat. But they they know they eat at school. So if they can hide and stay at the school, they would get food in their minds. And so we have to sweep and actually send them home on Friday afternoon. And I said, man, that is amazing. I can't believe that. Well, of course. That got Lauren to thinking, well, what happens now when we're not in school, COVID, they can't, and what do these kids do? And so um, that kind of generated in her mind, we need to get some of these corporations and donate food when the, the school system's not up and during the summer. So it generated a whole different line of thinking in, in her mind. But uh, it, it's just amazing. We don't always think that. We think of our kids and our families and everything going smoothly. We don't know about the families that are out there, the kids that are out there that don't have the same benefits our kids have. Well, it, it, that's another area where you've, you've made a significant impact. And, you know, I'd encourage people who are listening to get involved with the the charities that are out there who are helping to feed kids in our community when they go home for, for the weekend or from school. You know, Coach, another area where I feel like, you know, 
people certainly from Tampa Bay know, but I don't know if folks who are watching in other states than NBC would know that as they're hearing you talk about what's happening during the game, that you've committed a lot of your life to tackling the father fatherlessness crisis, um, not just here in Florida, but throughout the country. Um, I want to talk a little bit about that because as you well know, we've, we've focused a lot of that here on Florida the last year or so. Uh, tell us about how that came on on your heart, a little bit about your relationship with your dad. Yeah, I am. Um didn't realize it at the time, but I was really blessed growing up with a dad who um, was just special. And uh, my dad was a school teacher. So on the time that I was off on Saturdays and Sundays, he was home during the summer, he was home. And so I was always doing stuff with my dad growing up. And I just assumed that's what everybody did. That's what dads are. When I, when I want to play ball, my dad's there. When I want to go uh, take a ride, my dad's there to drive me. Um, that's how I grew up. And then when I got to high school and later on in college, I realized that everybody didn't benefit from that, didn't have the same uh, blessing that I had. And then I got a little farther on in my career when I became the head coach here uh, with the Buccaneers. I took a trip uh, with one of the local ministers on a, a trip to a, a prison here in Florida. And I was blown away when I got there because I expected to see a lot of hardened criminals and older guys. And I saw a bunch of 20, 21, 22 year old kids in, in my mind. They looked like my, my children. And I was like, gosh, Reverend Brown, how does this happen? How did these young kids get here? And he said, there's a lot of reasons. But the biggest reason, the most common denominator is not growing up with their dad. That leads to all different kinds of problems, you know, and you can say, well, it's this or that, but that's the core of it. And I said, wow, if, if that's the case, then we've, we've got to do a better job uh, of helping men be, be better dads. And that's when we kind of got All Pro Dads started in 1997. It's been a real blessing. But that has become my heart because uh, I know how I benefited from it and how my siblings benefited from my dad being there and being involved in our lives. And I just want everybody to have that, that chance to grow up and get that wisdom from their dad. You know, we had the chance coach, uh, you know, a couple months ago to spend a little bit of time together chatting. And there's a couple things that you said to me and, and I take, you know, you took the time as you do with many people to kind of pour into me and give me advice. And, and, uh, the two things that stuck with me, one, you just mentioned, which was, I always felt like that's a dads are supposed to always be here. You know, I want my kids to have that perception that, you know, dad's around, but also, you know, you made this, uh, this told us this, it told me the story about your dad taking you to sporting events and parking really far away. <laughs> Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it was one of the ways he enjoyed spending time with me. So we would go to Detroit Tiger baseball games or, you know, University of Michigan football games. And he'd drive up and he'd look and sign $6 to park. And he'd go a little farther, $3 to park, go a little farther. Oh, here we go. Here's the $1 parking. And we'd walk. It'd be like, my, seemed to me like miles. And I think, man, my dad is really cheap. <laughs> so it was one thing. He's trying to teach me the value of a dollar, but I think he enjoyed those long walks and things that we would talk about. Hey, what's going on in school? And tell me what, what's happening here. And uh, we'd have these great talks as we're walking to the game. But that was his way of spending a little bit more time with me than parking in the six dollar lot and just walking in the game. And I've, I've used that trick with my kids <laughs> lately, too. 
Well, I, I can tell you it was a great something that stuck with me. Um, one is one is a, just an act of being purposeful. You know, hey, I'm going to park far away because I've got this time to to chat. So I've I've started doing similar things with my kids, but I've also told that story. Uh, to about 10 other dads, all of whom kind of just stopped and said, that's brilliant. I would have never thought of that. I'm, I'm going to do that. And uh, so it's going to continue to your dad's legacy will live on of parking far away. Another thing my dad used to do, he was a, a science teacher and he used to some, some Saturdays, he'd take me in when he was cleaning his his room and his office. And I just get to look at the microscopes and the different things that were going on and his chalkboard and some of the things he had on there. And I was always fascinated by it. And so I said, hey, I'm going to do that same thing with my kids. So I would take them into the locker room and bring them to our practice facility and everything. And when I went to Indiana, they had never had kids in the building. Mm. And I said, well, I promise you that's going to change. I'm going to bring about at least eight before anybody else does. And we got to the point where we had kids there all the time, but it was something I learned that from Coach Noel too, that it's important for kids to see where their dads spend uh, a yeah. lot of their time. And, and, to, and my boys now love it. And it's not just because it's sport, but that's, that's where dad works. That's what dad does. And, and that's important. I know you had one of your sons uh, on the sidelines uh, getting ready for a game and there was a trooper who told you no, no kids allowed. How, tell, tell how, how'd that go? That was in Jacksonville, believe it or not. Um, my my boys had always been on the sideline with me from the time I, I started as a head coach. So my son, Eric, who's 30 now, he started when he was six. He used to go out and get the tee after the kickoff. He'd run out there, get the tee, and run it back to the, the kicker. So that was his job. He was there. Well, now he's about 12, and we're playing in Jacksonville, and this security guy comes up to me and says, hey, He's, that guy's too young to be on the sideline. I look, he's, Eric, he's been on the sideline his whole life. I don't know. We have a rule here. You have to be 18 to be on the sideline. And I said, listen, he, he has been on the sideline since he was five or six years old. He's going to be fine. No, you have to get him off the field. So I hate to tell you this. I'll take him off the field. But if he goes, the rest of these players, and all <laughs> these coaches are going too, and we won't have a game. And he looked at one of my assistant coaches and said, is he serious about that? And Coach Christensen said, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid he is. <laughs> so they let him stay. I love it. I love it. You know, in addition to kind of certainly practicing what you preach, uh, what you learn from your dad with with your own kids, uh, you've been actively involved in, in sort of the movement to tackle fatherlessness and to lift kids up who who maybe aren't connected with their dad and need a male role model. You know, your time with All Pro Dads, uh, you know, founding All Pro Dads in particular, your work with Mark Merrill and Family First um, isn't just a, a Florida program. It's it's you know, rapidly expanding, you know, throughout the country. And recently, Coach, uh, we got to stand together uh, as Governor DeSantis signed House Bill 7065, which is the first of its kind to tackle fatherlessness to scale in the state of Florida, to lift up organizations like All Pro dad. Tell me what your wish, you know, for that movement is uh, both here in Florida and throughout the country and how, how these dollars and these efforts by people can, can be impactful. Yeah, I think we have to get the message to our men in particular that uh, fatherhood is very, very important. I think we've kind of grown into the idea that, well, moms do the nurturing, the moms do the raising of the kids, the, the dads provide. So if I just provide financially, I'm doing my job. If I'm not there and I'm not around, but if, if I can send money back, you know, that that's going to be helpful. And of course it is. 
but that is not what, what our kids need. Um, my 30-year-old my son, Eric, I, I remember a, I was getting an award for fatherhood in San Antonio, Texas, and I went to Eric when he was about 12, and I said, give me a story about, you know, the favorite thing you've done with me, because I, I want to tell a story and why this award is so important. And by this time, he'd been on the sideline, he'd been to Super Bowls, he's held my court on TV, he's met all these famous people. And he said, well, I think my favorite time ever with you, Dad, is when we didn't have any uh, equipment and we were moving houses and all we could do was get the broom and we made baseball out of tape and I beat you 22 to three in tape baseball. That was my favorite time ever with you. <laughs> and it made me think, it made me understand it's not the finances, it's not the miraculous times, it's not taking them to Disney, it's spending that time day to day and being there for them. And that's the message we've got to get across. And that's why I'm, I'm so thankful for everything Governor DeSantis and, and you guys did with this bill and getting it across, because that's the message we need to get to our, our men. Being there is is 90% of it. And we've got to do that. And, and All Pro Dad is, is spreading that message. And I'm really proud to be part of this organization as well. It's a great story about about your son and the and the tape and the baseball. My my little guy, he's in he's just started kindergarten, but when he was in preschool, he wanted to make something one day, and I had toilet paper rolls, and we made some cool stuff out of toilet paper rolls, and and uh, I came to school to pick him up one day, and his teacher hands me a handful of toilet paper rolls, and I you know I just said, well that's kind of strange, you know what's what's this for? And he says, well you, you know your son Conrad told me I had to save all the toilet paper rolls because he had fun things he was going to do with you with them. So I just uh, to your yeah. point, it's like that's the thing, it's yeah. the toilet paper rolls yeah. that he that he remembers. Going back to the, the fatherhood organizations coach and uh, all pro dad, um, I, I'm an all pro dad in that I go, I, I'm a member of a chapter at our at our kids school. And um, for those folks who who maybe aren't familiar with it, at there are many public schools or, or other schools here in Florida. One of the things that dads do at the, is speak words of affirmation into their children um, at that event. T tell me why that was part of the all pro dad formula as it relates to tackling fatherhood. So often. That's what our kids are missing. They're missing that just that little moment from their dad. Hey, Johnny, you did a, a great job. Billy, I'm proud of you because of this. Sarah, you mean so much to me this way. And 30 seconds, uh, sometimes a child will remember that forever. So we have uh, we started our chapter programs 20 years ago, but we've gotten to the point where we make that kind of the first thing that we do every month when we meet. Okay, introduce your child to the rest of the people at the table and tell us why you're proud of them. And it, it's amazing what that does for kids. And it's amazing what it does for the dad to make them think, I, I, I've got to come up with something, not they got straight A's or not some achievement that they had, but why you're proud of them for who they are. And uh, it's a great lesson but it's also great for those kids to hear it from that dad who's really so important in their eyes. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Coach, one of the things that strikes me about you is that you're, you'd be a, a strangely hard guy to introduce. Uh, you know, we can say all kinds of things about you. We could say that you were a player, that you were you know, a Super Bowl winning coach, that you're in the NFL Hall of Fame, that you're a commentator. But then people who, who know you more, who've read some of your books like Uncommon Influence can say, well, he's, a, he's an adoptive parent. 
you know, in addition to being a dad, he's a he's a foster care parent. He's an advocate for kids to read. He's tackling um, hunger, um, in, you know, in, in schools. There's so many things. So I guess my question to you is, how do you want to be remembered? Somebody said to you, you know, all right, that's a lot of stuff, Coach. Um, what's the thing that when when you're gone that you want people to remember about Tony Dungy and, and your and Lauren's legacy on this earth? Well, it's funny you say that because, um, you know, I retired 14 years ago from coaching and we've got some young adopted kids who are, you know, 10, 11, 12 now. And, and some of my boys, they'll say that, Dad, why, why does that guy call you coach? Why does everybody call you coach? They don't even know that I coach <laughs> because it wasn't part of their life. So I think that tells you a lesson that, that, some, that what we do in life, our profession, our our vocation, that's going to be short-lived. That's not going to be as meaningful as uh, someone that would, if my boys would say, you know what, my dad was really great. I, I think back to my dad and how he's remembered um, one of the first African-American PhDs in the state of Michigan, uh, a Tuskegee Airman. What people would say would be awesome things, but you know what I would say, and that was my dad, and Dad really taught me a lot, taught me about life. He, he taught me about people and how to be nice to people. He, he taught me what was important in life. So I, I want the same thing said of me, that I, I help people live better and that I made my community a better place to live. If people said that, I'd be thrilled. Well, I, uh, I have no doubt that they, they'd say that now and they will say, Coach, I can speak from a personal experience. You've made me a, a better dad, a, a better husband, a better Christ follower just by trying to follow your example and learn from you. Um, I encourage everybody to pick up a copy of Uncommon Influence, Saying Yes to a Purposeful Life with Lauren and Tony Dungy. Coach, thanks for, for being with me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, this was fun, Chris. Thank you for the opportunity. Keep doing what you're doing. We need your type of leadership. I'm thankful for your leadership in our state. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Red, White, and Blue this week. I hope this episode encourages you to get out of your comfort zone and dare to have uncommon influence in your family, your work, and your leisure activities. Pick up a copy of Uncommon Influence and follow Coach Tony Dungy on Twitter at Tony Dungy. Until next week, this is Chris Browse signing off.